Thank you for listening to the Fashion Africana podcast. Please be respectful of the intellectual property featured in this episode. Hello, I'm Beatrice Angutola and you're listening to Fashion Africana podcast. Today I'm speaking to Natasha. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. It would be a pleasure if you could briefly introduce yourself to us. Briefly introduce myself. Okay. My name's Natasha A. Kelly. I work in different fields. I work in academia, in arts, especially in theater at the moment. I'm an author. I think that's my, um, that's my, I would, I would call writing my tool. So, so I'm an author of different books. I think my sixth book is coming right now. And um, my books were put on stage, for example, or uh, we developed them into like an empowerment theater. Um, I, I ended in the arts field because academia here didn't want me. So I also have a PhD in communication studies and sociology. And my, my initial plan was to stay at university and teach at university, but they're not ready for black female professors in Germany. So um, I kind of like ended up in, in doing all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. So that's just a brief dis- description, if you want to put it like that. It is. If you would know what I know, because Natasha, she's a curator. <laughs> She has been working with several institutions in Germany and she's an author, what you already mentioned, and an Afrofuturist. And she has an amazing mind. That's why it's a pleasure for me to have you here. And she's so busy because she's one of our ladies here in Germany who is really on all these kind of debates about racism, institutional racism, structural racism. She is one of the ladies who's really shaking up the media and she's a voice for us here, people of African origin, for the community, coming up with really critical points, what the system is not really paying attention to or where the lack is. And, um, it's amazing you found time for us to be here. For you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you. That's why, Natasha, we are really in a decade. I even don't know how to describe it. And with your background, I mean, living here as a black woman in Germany and tell us what are the side effects of an intellectual black woman in Germany? Um, From an academic perspective, I would say that um, black intellectual women are hardly existent. Um, I think there is in all of Germany, throughout all of Germany, there's one black professor that I know, female professor that I know, which is actually a no-go, who actually has a job, yeah, let's put it that way, Um, who has a a full-time job, um, one, one black female professor. And then um, comes uh, people like me who are standing and waiting until the society is ready to create black institutions, to institutionalize black knowledge. This has been one of our demands from for decades now. And um, the way the um, discourses are being led and the dialogue is led at the moment, it really emphasizes the necessity of black knowledge, that that's actually missing in this debate. Um, You feel like jetted back 100 years behind the US or behind other European countries even, excluding France because they have their own little white problem over there let's put it that way but if you look at the um, <laughs> if you look at the UK for example where um, these discussions are not new well well let me put it right I wouldn't say I wouldn't call the discussion on racism new in Germany definitely not I mean I've been working in the field for the past 20 years and I know people who are who have been working um, on this for even longer huh? 
But um, it's just now through the killing of George Floyd reaching the mainstream mainstream media, which is like really, really late. Yeah. But um, they're only reaching a point where like the white majority society is starting to understand that they're actually white. So that like jettisons us back. Oh, God, really these hundred years where you um, and we get kind of like stuck in a debate about all lives. And this is one of my biggest critic points, I think. Yeah. That, um, this shouldn't be about, you know, how white people feel in a discussion about racism that is starting way too late. This discussion is still about black lives and that black lives matter. And the racism debate here in Germany hasn't even reached the point of talking about black lives. And that's what actually is very frustrating and painful at the same time. Oh. Wow. And what... Do you think is the cause for that? Why haven't we here in Germany yet reached that point? Well, first of all, it's definitely the missing institutionalization of black black knowledge, black knowledge workers, um, like um, disciplines like black studies, Africana studies, all the sort. But also um, having um, black intellectuals in different fields. Uh, you could be a chemist or, or whatever. That's um, very rare to see black people there too. So I'm not saying that black people can only study black studies, but we're missing practically in all fields of, of academia and science. So that's definitely number one. Um, number two is that we're still dealing with these old racist stereotypes. Yeah? For example, um, A black female intellectual is like an opposition for many people in this country because black women, we're associated with our sexuality, with body, with some, we're, we're often exoticized, but we're never put in context with knowledge or aesthetics. And um, so I think yeah. that this is um, a major, um, major problem, a major challenge that we face every day. Um, even speaking from my own experience, when I enter academia, um, people look me up from top to bottom thinking, oh, where, where's the professor? I think the worst thing that somebody asked me once was, um, oh, which market did you buy your PhD? And I just looked at him, ignored him because I don't have strength for ignorance. You know, I was like, okay. You know, so it's things like that, and it's, it's it, this. This actually shows how we're, how the German society is like still tied also to stereotypical racist thought patterns. Um, um, they still feed on these stereotypes that the black woman cannot be intelligent. Um, maximum, she will have success in the entertainment in industry where she's yeah. exoticized. Or uh, even in your industry, the fashion industry, there's exactly. a big debate as well about even um, how how if black women can be re representable. Yeah, I think um, one good example of how beautiful we are for the past 20, 30 years is like Naomi Campbell. She has like no rival, so I don't even know why we're even having that debate. But um, on the <laughs> I mean, no, it's like, yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, in fashion, 50 odd. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it comes really down to uh, questions of feminism because um, I'm also very active in the, in the women's movement. So, um, who can even represent women? It's like definitely not a black woman in this country. We're still far from it. Uh, so, um, there's a lot of things that 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 actually come together. Why we why we're still stuck. I would literally say. Yeah, um, yeah. It can also be explained historically, I think, because um, looking back on, on black German history, blacks have always been excluded from this country, politically also. If it was after colonialism, the so-called colonial migrants got deported after um, Germany had to give away, give back the territories or give the territory, not give them back. We're still waiting for them to give them back. But. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are waiting. <laughs> but for example, when Cameroon went to France, for example, all colonial migrants or the majority of the colonial migrants from Cameroon were deported to France also. So that's why if we look in um, European um Compare European countries. There is a, the 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 black community in France is a lot bigger than in Germany. Yeah, and so people imagine to this day Germans to be white. Yeah, 
which found its murderous peak in National Socialism, the so-called Aria, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, was the German. But this actually is a fictive idea that um, yeah. Germans are only white, blonde, and totally. blue-eyed. You right? know, yeah. mm-hmm. this is so interesting, you know, because if I look into it today, and for us in the fashion field, in the media field, advertising field, I mean, now you have blackness. Mm-hmm. Blackness is a must-have. If you look into commercials, if you look into big brands, and this is something I'm trying to figure out, you know, at one point, it's not, or the society, the system is not ready to give us access or also to um, acknowledge us, but on the other hand, they want to seek our blackness. Is there an explanation for this? I think it's exactly the same in the academic field. That's funny that you say that because I'm constantly invited as a guest lecturer, as a guest professor, because they know damn well, excuse my my language, <laughs> that um, <laughs> they know... Um, they know they can't do without black knowledge, no? but they're not giving us permanent jobs. So they will invite us because they know, especially now, it's, it's like it's, it's, people are going really crazy. I'm like, I'm constantly saying no to these idiotic offers that I'm getting to do this, to do that. I'm like, no, first of all, all of you are going to go home, do your homework, and then we can start a proper discussion. No? But um, they can't do without without us because uh, I think the one thing is they don't want to be labeled racist. Yeah. So that day is over where, you know, um, if you were to call somebody out on their racist behavior, yeah, um, you know, you would be demonized for doing that. Yeah. And those days have kind of like shifted that people are, are in this guilty corner right now. They're like, oh, I don't want to be called racist. So we're going to have to quickly invite a black person. Only today I got an offer. I don't need to, to name any names, but it was one, one of these offers. Um, from a, um, a professor, I assume white, I don't know, but just from reading the email, um, she had written, um, she's writing a paper on black women. No? So she invites me as a co-author to write this paper. But then like in, this, in the last line, it's like, oh, and by the way, the article's already written. Okay. So And then, and so it's like this whole email is just, thriffled with guilt, no, because she knows she's, we're reaching a day and age where white women can't write about black women anymore. So she quickly leaves an alibi, a token co-author, so that she doesn't look that bad writing about us. And I was like, uh-huh. you know, sometimes I don't even know if I have the strength to answer these emails sometimes. I'm like, really, everybody, do you really need me to teach you in the answer of my email why this email is just so wow. default all the way? No, I'm like, thank you. No, thank you. Why are we still into this, you know? Mm -hmm. But you just mentioned also one word, token. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if everyone here is aware of it. Maybe you can give us also an insight about tokenism. Mm -hmm. Well, tokenism is exactly that, that you need one black person in your team to say, to prove that you're not racist. It's similar to when you say, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. I'm not racist, my child's black. You know, we have several examples of this. So that so it's, it's practically, um, you know, especially when it comes down to diversity and companies, they, they choose this one black employee to put on their poster when it comes to questions of, oh, we're very diverse. No? So they have 100 people working in the company, one of them is black, and that's the one that makes it to the diversity poster. Yeah, that's tokenism, yeah, where you're like, uh, otherwise they don't, you know, they don't care at all um, if we even have access, um, if we, and once we're inside companies working, whichever field, be it fashion, academia, or the arts, is where it actually comes to the question of structural racism. Um, the phenomena is the same in each field, yeah, so... Exactly. Because if you always point out the one, the very one, you, of course, can manipulate this one. Mm-hmm. So this one will still transport the Eurocentric view, the Western view. So it's, uh, it's just the alibi, I would call it, alibi um, 
uh, uh, kind of uh, behavior. Because if we really want to enter to that feed where we really get to the ground and change, and this is exactly institutional racism, structural racism, what we need to face. And since you have been on several debates talking about it, I think it's still not yet clear what it means also in terms in fashion, if you could give us some of your thoughts. Institutional racism is a is a part of structural racism. I don't know if there's an, like a difference. Institutional racism is how structural racism plays out in institutes. And depending on which institute you're in, uh, um, it plays out differently. Yeah? But um, racism is structural because it affects all structures of society, all sectors of society, all fields. There's nothing that is safe from racism nowhere. Yeah? So even if you have the one black employee in your company, the structures are still racist so it doesn't make you less racist because you have a black employee the structure of your racism the whole hierarchy the whole eurocentric setting even right down to the gaze is racist and this is where maybe it ties to fashion first of all um i think in when it comes to language like um the n-word for example people think that that's the only form of how racism plays out oh i didn't say the n-word to you so i can't be racist that's a very obvious form of um um racism in the linguistic field in language yeah yeah but you yeah. can also be racism on a visual level yeah. so we didn't only learn to talk from our white forefathers and philosophers, we also learned how to see. They taught us how to see. So we have these um, typical, here in Europe, these typical Eurocentric gaze that comes out of this tradition of looking at, in a certain way, at black bodies. Yeah? So this is something that I definitely would tie to the fashion industry, yeah? Um, yeah. which has a continuity um to the fact that um in um we're very full bodied women let me put it that way <laughs> just looking down at myself yes. right now if you can see but <laughs> me too <laughs> we love our curves exactly and this is what they call like curvy models <laughs> so um the 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 possibility to really find um a black woman who fits eurocentric norms is like really 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 rare i mean i mentioned naomi um campbell just now no who who has these typical um features and all all black women who you see in in media in mainstream media um have eurocentric features be it beyonce who has this blonde blonde hair light-skinned mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. um appearance yeah apart from when it gets to her butt yeah <laughs> her behind or I don't know how to put it in a very sophisticated way, but you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So this is something that definitely is ascribed to a black woman. Yeah. And it's become fashion. Yeah. It goes so far that people get crazy to inject all sorts of stuff in their behind just to get a big African booty. Yes. So this is the only typical African feature that that may be Beyonce transport. And word is that that is not even her real behind that it's also been operated but i don't even know i'm not even going to go into all of these oh discussions yeah we don't so know my, <laughs> my wanting to know but um yeah so these these are like features that then um if you look in in the whole industry you have a kim kardashian operating her ass and right down to uh, god knows what yeah i don't know because i'm like i'm i'm so over that i'm like whatever no <laughs> or if it's the hair for example this is another good example of um especially you know the kardashians um thinking that they uh they claim cornrows rose calling them box braids i, I like, know oh, really that's like so ridiculous you know even if you because hair is also so political um, I don't even know if they know to what extent they actually um, 
uh, I don't even know how to put it in words. Um, really misusing. Yeah, yeah misusing yes, it misusing. on a political level yes. also. Mm. Misusing black culture and black identity like that. Because yes. if you think like these cornrows were made in your hair where, where um, former um, um, yeah. enslaved people would hide the roots in um the of of how to escape in in the patterns of the hair yeah and then she's making it into some kind of box but i don't even know where she got the word from but anyway <laughs> or what was her little what her is her little sister's name it wasn't kim it was the other one what's her name well you know or you all know who i'm talking about yeah um so yeah you have things like that where um it's it's literally we're, we're talking about um racism at its finest maybe hidden for some um where it it actually comes down to cultural appropriation yes. in this form, yeah, where uh, the whole history and political agenda behind appearance, be it cornrows, for example, is totally erased. Um, yeah, and you 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 literally, like you said, misuse an attribute for your own personal gain. What it is, right? So this is capitalism at its finest as well, which is the other side of. The racist medal. We're not allowed to forget that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because when I look also into the past, being raised here in Germany, and I remember back in the days, it wasn't the case seeing a black woman on the magazine, on a TV show, or, you know, and we had the one example, Naomi or Tara Banks, and I remember... Yeah, Tara came later. You know? I remember. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I remember in school also, you know, some boys that were making fun of you because you had, you know, your lips looking good. My nose was always the issue. Is it? Now, now listeners, if you could see my beautiful <laughs> African nose, you would not know what I'm talking about. But Yes. <laughs> Too bad you're not seeing what I'm seeing. She's sitting here with her nice afro, beautiful earrings, and looking gorgeous i remember and even if you look at um if i i think um think about some of these young listeners as well they wouldn't even understand what what we're talking about because we didn't have social media at that time we didn't have internet at that time so what was delivered to us was practically through mainstream media tv what you all are not even watching anymore for the same reason so that is all what we got yeah Yeah. so i remember being around 13 14 i would look into the mirror the only thing i would see in this mirror was my nose (laughs) (laughs) for me i was only seeing my lips i was like it was right in my face So what is actually happening is that we're we're adapting, we're internalizing this whole racist um, gaze, you know, in the way we perceive ourselves also. Oh, it was like, oh, my nose is too big. Too big for what? You know, even going, um, considering who am I even comparing my nose to? Because around me, um, there were no other black people apart from in my family, obviously. I don't know how, how it was with you growing up. So I don't even know who I was comparing my nose to. And of course, my nose is going to be bigger than a European nose, right? I just imagine a European nose in my face right now. I am so happy nobody touched my nose, you know. <laughs> At that time, I would have I would have died for some kind of nose operation. I thing know. Like that. If it would have no, been, but... you know, because <laughs> those days it was also not in to do some, you know, plastic uh, surgery. surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no! Plastic surgery, right down to the hair. Um, I don't know how many times I, I literally raped my hair. I, I don't know how other to put it. Relaxing my hair, um, putting chemicals in my hair to have straight hair. That was the other thing. It was like that was the, that was like I would. I don't know why. I, I'm like looking back. I'm yeah. like, you must be crazy girl. <laughs> like growing up like this. But I'm. I wear my afro proud now. I'm like mm-hmm. walking down the street. I mean, here in Berlin, it's nothing. But going back to the village where my mom lives, like everybody's still turning heads, looking at me when I come because I'm like, I'm going like this. I'm going <laughs> like. I'm going full me. Uh-huh. <laughs> back to the village. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's 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 still happening. You know, uh-huh. and, and this is the thing, because now, and I think this is what really supports this whole Afro pride, we have the social media. Because yeah. back in the days, we were just observing mainstream media and the fact that the power was in the Eurocentric um, uh, media. Mm-hmm. 
you know. So it, yeah, it, but there are also um, disadvantages. Um, I think it's important to, to to mention digital racism. What's going on as well? If you think about um, black fishing, for example, um, I mean, I haven't I haven't really had the time to really look into this topic in depth, but it's a real thing. If you think about, um, you know, who's been um, black faced. Uh, in comparison to whitewashing, yeah, it's like this. It's 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 a lot of um, digital racism going on. There's a lot of digital capitalism going on as well. Um, this whole calculation of algorithms um, mm-hmm. are still in white man's hands. So um, we're not allowed to forget that, you know. So so what we see is also in our social media, be it Instagram. I don't even yeah. know what some of these things are called these days, but you all know what I'm talking about. It's, um, it's still calculated uh, or dominated by white calculations. Mm. So um, um, a lot of things, especially, I mean, hello, Instagram, you like censoring stuff as well. It's like, um, you know, if you have two, what for them seems, um, I had an image, I've been actually been censored by, by Instagram once as well. I had an image of um, Donald Trump in um, mm-hmm. um, flowing into the image of Adolf Hitler, which uh, I seem very reasonable for obvious reasons. And they censored that image. No, Is it? And, what do you um, mean with they censored it? They will put up um, like a um, like a shield in front of it. This picture is, and then with the sentence, this picture is, is um, violating da da da. So you, um, and you, but you still can press on it. Yeah, I don't remember what the sentence is, but you can still press on it, mm-hmm. and then um, this filter will go away, and then you see the real image. So they do censor. Is it? But yeah. in what context? So you were. I will, in, in context of real life. <laughs> In context of my social reality, I mean, yeah, that was a call. I saw the image. Actually, I think the image was really, really cool because Mm -hmm. it was just a few lines, but you could really, literally make out that it was these two um, profiles in one. No. And um, so much to art is free, huh? So okay, mm -hmm. you see, yeah. Watching. So it's there, yeah. And if you look at all these companies as well, be it Instagram, be it Facebook, be it Google, um, it's vector capitalism going on. And I think that we need to keep take this into consideration when we're just freely using these social media, thinking that we're free of yeah. racist structures, but we're not, you know? Yeah, but the whole new research in this field is actually open, especially in an Afrofuturist context, what you mentioned just yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is um, is really important to, to, to be aware of. You know, where are you posting? You know. Um, who owns the platforms? Especially um, during COVID, um, yeah. when we were in this high quarantine phase, um, and then slowly started getting out of this 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 phase. People started because I travel like you a lot, yeah. no? Yeah. So I couldn't travel. So people were asking me, "Yeah, can you do this online? Can you hold a lecture online? Can you and and then we'll record the lecture and upload it on our homepage?" And I was like, uh, "I can hold a lecture, but record and upload? No, no. Okay. These are these are these are." three different things that we're actually now talking about yeah you know, which i didn't really before even take into consideration but now um, that we're literally through the pandemic being forced to deal with this whole digital world yeah which for us old people i don't know how you feel but <laughs> i feel so old when i'm coming when it comes to social media i'm like okay which button do i have to press now but you're doing great <laughs> we're not old it's just i think you know because we haven't been growing up with it you yeah, know exactly. in the 90s you know because it, it's it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. These days you have the kids five, six, they're already having yeah. their smartphone yeah, in their hand. Yeah, they come out with the smartphone in their hand. They're like, oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. So so I, I had a lot of ca- catching up to do in that area. That's why I'm saying that this whole field of digital racism is still something that we seriously have to look into, yeah. you know, especially when it comes to technology. I mean, it's, it's always shown in different areas. For example, if we look at different data, um, 
for example, in the medical sector. Yeah. yeah this was always been based on technology and programming mm-hmm. done by white people. Yeah. Uh, the same white people in writing the books in philosophy, the same white people in your field determine what is beautiful and what is not. Yeah. The same white people, men in most cases, actually um, doing the math. Yeah. So I think yeah. we have to... Um, be a bit more conscious of that that there there's a whole new field of of um of isms coming at us right there mm. yeah yeah wow yeah so true and what are your thoughts on how fashion has played a role in feminine identity of women of african origin or women here in the diaspora um well, I can only speak for myself um, on on this. Um, I haven't really done any academic research in that field yet, but actually I am going to, um, what is it, the University of Design in November All right. to talk about um, cultural Where? Where? appropriation Which? in mm-hmm. Dresden. Okay, uh-huh. University of Design. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing a two-day work. So I haven't really done my homework yet, but I'm getting, uh, I still have time. But for me personally, um, fashion has always been a part of my identity. I think that that maybe go for all African women. Yeah. And the more Afrocentric I got throughout my 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 lifetime, because yeah. it's a process, obviously, um, the more political conscious I got, um, the more it shows in my fashion, yeah. no? be it yeah. my hair, wearing yeah. it as an Afro, my huge earrings, mm-hmm. the gold. Um, yeah. You all need to see my shoes. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> But what I have to say as well, I, I'm 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 a natural born thrift shopper. No? All right, and I think that this is um, also an important aspect when it comes to neo neo colonialism and racism. Mm-hmm. Um, a short story: I was in Uganda um, a few years back, um, and I was invited to a feminist conference. So it was um, obviously at this conference, and um, in, in my free time, I was. Um, went through Kampala because obviously yeah I wanted to see you know what's going on and then I ended up at this market for um old clothes I don't even know what what the name was of the market I can't remember but in this market there were only old clothes you mean with old clothes like Secondhand clothing. Secondhand clothes from Second, Europe. Yes, from secondhand Europe, clothing. You know? So this is um, something that I, th- I find is like, is one example of how the whole racist colonial um, structure still plays out today because clothes, as we know, it's, it's one of the, the biggest gar- garbage. Waste. Waste, waste yeah, yeah. Waste, okay. waste. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh god! I've been here too long, everybody. This is like, oh, this, um, yeah. So, so it's so it's it's waste. Yeah, you know this fast fashion that um, people wear things one time, throw them away. Wear things two times, throw them away. So we have this here in Europe, this huge waste problem with clothes, with garments, with cloth. Yeah. It gets sent to Africa and it lands. Then, for example, in this market in Uganda. Yeah. You know? And as a natural-born thrift shopper now, <laughs> this was a whole new dimension of second-hand um, industry yes. that opened right in front of my eyes in this market because it also at the same time pushes out um, the designers and the clothing industry in these regions, yes. in Uganda and Kampala. And at the same time, it's I, I, I mean, we don't even have to talk about the economic... Um, effects it has on the econ- economy and yes. um, and um climate climate change all of that so this is kind of like even um in a sense confirmed my thrifting because mm. i think we need to find ways in europe yeah. to deal with our waste yeah yes. and maybe this is one way to do it um is is um what I don't understand that thrifting has become so expensive. It's like sometimes like if you're looking at vintage stuff, or you're paying more than you're paying for new stuff. Or I'm like, okay, everybody, you know, wait a minute. This is going <laughs> wrong there. But at the same time, um, 
more needs to be done in that sector to really stop this waste going to different African countries. That's that's an absolute no-go. Yes, this but, is um, so right. Yeah. This is so right. And this is also, I think, another um, challenge um, we are facing in the African fashion industry and the fact that so many Europeans, but also here in Germany, are not aware of that when yeah. they're dumping their clothes into an... Into an uh, 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 NGO um, spot or wherever they believe they're doing something good. Good, yeah. Yes, white saviorism. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Please yeah. tell us. Yeah, it's like we're doing something good with these poor little Africans. Let's save them. They're all running around naked and barefoot, so let's send a, send them our old clothes. But where they actually land is, for one example, this market in Uganda. And I tell you, I have never seen so many secondhand clothes at a market there was nothing else there was no food at this market there were no um you know um what do you have say uh, arts or crafts or anything like that, that it's you just would find at a typical african market if you're, yes it was just secondhand clothes from europe and i think that some countries have actually banned the yes. import of secondhand um clothes now which i totally understand totally. After seeing that. rwanda rwanda yeah. i love it really they banned it and and actually uganda um is looking into it you know it's a process because this is again politics yeah you know if you band it at the other hand you get threatened and it's a long process but at the end of the day this is the way i think yeah and everybody needs to start by themselves no because then we could reduce the problems even in our own closet you know do we really need the <laughs> 200th pair of jeans yeah. uh, who and like you said if we give away clothes where are they actually going um if i look around berlin sometimes i think there are people here on the street that definitely could do with some new clothes or old clothes whichever way you want to put it but um why we always have this idea that african people run around naked is um this whole idea transported from colonialism etc that we, we we still believe that you know you need to help yeah. and this mm -hmm. aid aspect yeah. of it, yeah, you know. Yeah, this white savior. We, the white man, needs to save us. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, this is it, you know. And, and this is so beautiful in this era we're living into now, you know. This, this, I call it also movement, that it's now us. We can talk. People can raise and the African perspective is now really out there mm -hmm. and you cannot overlook it. And I think this is so important to be aware of it, but still at one point I see also here in Germany, the African perspective is still not so acknowledged, but I'm just so glad to be in this time because the African voice is out there And it's time now for us to tell our story, to also, you know, change stereotypes and perspectives. And this is, I think, also what is um, done also in your work. You know, when I look into your Afrofuturistic um, exhibitions or also the, the, the books you have already been um, publishing. And still, um, what I'm not yet so sure of, if I think of also this whole consumerism, like now, you know, you have the African art, fashion, music, and how is it consumed, you know, and by whom, and how you twist it again. So it's, it's, uh, it's an error, but I think we still need to be really aware of, are we still owning it? I think what we need to do is get away from um, wanting to um, fashion ourselves for white people and um, be, um, how do you say, be compatible with their understanding of aesthetics. What we need is a new black aesthetic defined by black people for black people. And this for me um, is the work that I've always been doing. 
um, there are like different um, strands. There are people who do like the critical work. And I started out 20 years ago also doing critical work, critical whiteness, especially in academia. I was working in academia at that time. And the majority of my students, of course, were white. So I had to talk about whiteness in the context of racism. But um, since I haven't been in, well, literally allowed to work in academia anymore, it's, um, I've actually changed my focus. So oh, I now right. do, I now look um, internally into the community. I work into the community, which on the one hand doesn't give me as much publicity as other people who are still working with whiteness gain. But I think the gain is that my community is empowered. So I do more empowerment work. And I think this is where the focus needs to go. Like I said at the beginning, this is not about all lives. This is not about how white people see us or how they have to change their ways of seeing us. Um, this will change automatically if we start changing how we see ourselves and how we communicate with each other. And especially when it comes to Africa and the diaspora, I think this dialogue needs to be strengthened. You know? um, we need to create synergies um, between Black Europe and yeah. Africa. Yeah. Um, being on the continent for several times in different different countries. I was in Uganda. I was in um, Ghana, in Namibia, and North African countries also, they don't perceive me as being a black European, but just as a European. And this was difficult for me to really under, to really explain the difference that um, there there is such a thing as a white European. That shit yeah. is real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. And that you, um, as a black European, that we actually do have a different perspective. So we're kind of like the third voice when it comes to um, discourses between Africa, between the continent and Europe. Yeah, we are like, we're literally a third voice. But I have the feeling that on the continent, we're not really perceived as such yet. We need to we need to really get get this 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 conversations between the diaspora and the continent going. And it doesn't matter where you are in the diaspora, be it US America, down to Brazil, right? I mean I was in Brazil last year as well. Amazing, amazing community, amazing Afro Brazilian community, which is older than the US communities. Yeah. You know. This is also knowledge that doesn't even reach us. Yeah, and this is the case, and that's the this thing. And I think case. that we need to strengthen um, our ties within the diaspora, from the diaspora to the continent. We need to start defining black aesthetics for us. We need to start reclaiming black culture for us and not for white people. And I think this is where we actually need to change our perspective. I quit thinking and talking about white people and what they're doing and what they don't do a long time ago, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I'm not against white people. I'm happy everybody who wants to, you know, be part of this future with us. Yeah. Of course, of course. But, we, are, um, we are inclusive. It's very are inclusive, inclusive yeah. you know? Yeah, this but it's not same. about them anymore. It's not about them being judgmental, being dominant over us or anything like that. Whoever wants to deal in that field, you know, go ahead, do it. That needs to be done. But I think we need more focus on ourselves and our upcoming and also helping each other up. Yeah. And letting go of these Eurocentric structures that we're also implementing into our communities. Yeah. yeah. Be it in the form of colorism, things like that. This, yes. this is a, this, this came out of the white gaze. This is nothing that a black person literally said to themselves um, or, or created as a black aesthetic. Yeah. Colorism is a white aesthetic. Yeah. And I think that we have to start understanding that. That it doesn't matter how light or how dark your skin, black is black and black is beautiful in Thank all you. shades and sizes yeah so we need to get um more into into the validation of that for ourselves and not for for white people 
Yeah. Yeah, because we're still too dependent, especially here in Germany. In Germany, because we're a very small minority here in Germany as a black community, but we need to really to break away from from this independency. That means getting, you know, black businesses going, black media going, black institutions, like I mentioned before, bringing yeah. these things together and um, becoming more stronger, literally, in our in our community. Yeah. And for ourselves. And this work can only be done if we invest in ourselves and in our... Um, so it's back to black banks and black econom economy, black business. Yeah. yeah, well, that's... For me, that's that's the way to go. Perfect, perfect. You described it perfectly. And I wish we could talk longer. It's always great to talk to you. And what we always do on Fashion Africa Now podcast, we have two key questions... The first one is, what does fashion mean to you? Fashion is a part of my identity. I wouldn't call myself a fashionista because I don't go with trends. Um, it's, it's quite funny because um, I usually already know when I wake up in the morning exactly what I'm going to wear. No, I already know. No? Wow. But then there are these days yeah. where I don't know what to wear. And those are the days that literally go wrong. Nah? I already know by getting dressed how this day is going to be. Nah? Okay. So I it's about the feeling. It's about the feeling. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's about, am I, am I just going to go in sneakers and jogging to mm -hmm. jogging? to wherever I'm going to go, mm -hmm. you know, does that work for me? Which sometimes works. If I put on a blazer, that will work too, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so it's so it has a lot to do with the feeling, with my emotions, with my identity. It's a day-to-day -day thing. And usually I can get up and I can switch and really just slide into something. Yes. But then there are the days where it just doesn't work. And those days when I start changing and when I have to, no, and I'm not wearing this pant, I'm not wearing that, and no, 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 no. Those are the days that go wrong. So fashion for me is really, really important. It's, it, it has a, a prominent position yeah. in my life. Not that I'm chasing trends. I don't care. People might not like what I got on and they're like, oh, mm -mm, what you got? Well, mm, that's kind of, that, what kind of style is it? You know, you get all of that. I just go with me. I'm like, this is what I feel like today. So this is... <laughs> no, and everything's coming back anyway. I wish I kept my clothes from the nineties. Uh -huh, exactly. <laughs> no, this is so, the thing. Um, yeah. The second question is, how do you define your role in this movement? Mm. I think um, because Germany is a very young movement. I, uh, in comparison to other European countries, for example, um, our movement started like in the 80s. I would actually count myself as one of the elders, um, especially in the past week, seeing these young people coming up and with their social media and creating a lobby through this whole social media, what we never had back in the 80s and 90s. So this is something that, that is really showing my age you know where i'm like okay you're gonna have to if you can't beat them natasha join them no <laughs> <laughs> so that's um and i think i'm an elders i think uh through the work that i've done um i bring a, a lot of knowledge to the table um which um also gives me a certain authority in this um in this yeah. community i wouldn't call myself a leader because i think leading in this sense is something very eurocentric hierarchical dominant mm. um you're a visionary i am definitely i'm a visionary i'm somebody who always deals with the future where are we going we all know what we're fighting against but do we know what we are fighting for And what does that look like? So I'm more, and I'm an educator, definitely. I'm always, I'm always dropping knowledge. I'm, I'm yes. like, oh, for example, um, it's confirmed that the M Street has been renamed to Anton Willem Amo. But how many of our youngsters out there actually know who Anton Willem Amo was? No? Thank so you. So I had to drop another video on that. I'm like, all right, here you go. No. And by the way, um, maybe this is the right time to mention it now. I'm actually, um, opening an online academy 
um, Tell us. this fall, yeah, because I've seen um, the power of social media, but at the same time, I see um, the face, fake news and the false facts that are being spread through this social media. And that really frustrated me because I'm like, no, we can't be dropping this half knowledge, as we call it, this half knowledge um, yeah. to our kids. They have to you, at least, you know, get knowledge out there. So I decided to um, create an online academy okay. for, um, for these kids. How so, can we access it? Um, it's coming to you soon. Um, it definitely will be accessible through my homepage. What is it called? NatashaAKelly.com. And um, that's enough information for now. But that's um, follow me on Instagram, Natasha.A.Kelly. And you can um, definitely be up to date when, you know, when we launch the um, online academy, what the causes will be about. But the focus will definitely be on black German knowledge um, past, present and future. This is what um, I'm focusing on. So people who are looking to deal with their whiteness or stuff won't necessarily find too much knowledge there. But um, white people are definitely invited to learn about um Black yes. culture and black knowledge. That's what it's what the focus will be about. So um I think this is this is one of the positions that I might have in this community that um yeah, what I'm respected for that I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. I can agree to that. This is definitely what you're respected for and what we really admire you for and you. appreciate because this is work you have been doing. And I know sometimes you do work, people even don't understand what you're mm-hmm. doing. And years <laughs> later, they're like, I yeah. got it now. Yes, they <laughs> literally, this is what's happening to me right now. Where I'm like, okay, I am not even saying anything. Like <laughs> Books that I wrote like four years ago when I was like Afroculture, for example. This was my dissertation, actually. And um, when it came out, nobody was interested in this book. They like, they shut this book after page two and I was like no this is this is where we are actually going no it says everything in there what is actually happening now that race is being deleted from the German constitution why we need race why we need racial turnage it's all in that book you know and slowly but surely people are like uh wait a minute maybe I need to go back to that book and I'm I'm telling you all yes you do (laughs) (laughs) so check out the book Afro culture yeah it's in German but you know it's gonna be a theater play now it would have been yeah we would have had we put I put that book on stage in Brazil yes and in the U.S. already and it worked so well and in Brazil I I played with um the music was by an Afro-Brazilian percussionist and in the U.S. we played with an African-American singer-songwriter and in Germany we wanted to put it on before COVID came and destroyed everything destroyed the world (laughs) um so when in um it's been postponed to next year but we're we're playing with a a black orchestra. So we are um, proving that we actually uh, own European classic. (laughs) (laughs) That European classic is black music. That Beethoven was black. So... So we're playing with an orchestra, and then, and the beautiful thing about it, then in these three countries, it shows how Afro culture, um, the aesthetics change through the music, and can't wait to put it on stage because um, one thing was also is one thing is also definitely to um, you know go out and read the book, but you know I'm not forcing people who who. Um, you know, don't necessarily come from academia to understand it. Yeah. And this is why I had to communicate the same content in a different way. Yes. By putting it on stage and making it accessible for, to a different crowd and to different crowds. And it works internationally. It works so beautifully. And I can't wait for the, for the German um, German version. Wow. Yeah, so. We are looking forward. Yeah. Nice. Wow. So much to come. So please... Look out for Natasha and um, yeah, you were listening to Fashion African Hour podcast and I was speaking today with Natasha. Kelly. <laughs> You're listening to Fashion African Hour podcast. We humbly ask you to respect our intellectual property. We want to leave you inspired, informed, 
educated, connected. This is who we are. Fashion Africana podcast. Get in touch with us on fashionafricanow.com.